Matthew chapter 6. So, anyhow, Matt, there you go. You can let me know what you need to do to pick that up and you need me to call the credit card or whatever to get that done tomorrow. That'd be great. Because <clears throat> there's, I guess they we're under a little bit of a time crunch. They've just got some in and already like half of them are already sold of the place that got the wood stoves in. We know the exact one that he needs. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse number 25. <clears throat> Jesus is speaking here in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold, the fowls of the air, for they stole not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father, now get this, knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord. We do love you. We ask your blessing upon the message tonight, Lord. I pray that you'd be glorified and honored. Lord, control what I say and how I say it. May I stay uh, true to your word and, and simply give truth out, Lord. And I pray that it would help us. Lord, if there's anyone here that does not know Jesus Christ as Savior, Lord, I certainly do pray for their salvation. I pray that you'd be glorified and honored. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, in the previous section that we already dealt with several weeks back, Christ was dealing with the principle in the Sermon on the Mount of lay not up treasures on earth where moth and rust doth cor corrupt. Uh, he, was, he was driving at what we work for in life. So one obvious uh, objection to that that could come up is, well, how do we get our needs met? Well, that's where Christ is going now. If, we're, if, we're to, if our effort and our work is to be focused towards the kingdom of heaven and God's kingdom, then how do we get our needs met? So that's where Christ is going with this in dealing with how we get our needs met. Again, this does not deal with the command of, it doesn't allow for laziness to come in where you think you can just sit down and do nothing. No, it's, it, it deals with where your heart is, where your intent is, where your focus is, and why you're doing what you're doing. Um, I remember it was during the conference, I've heard it said, I believe it was even Brother Seavers that had said that, that whatever employment you have right now, whatever it is, uh, that's your support to be the missionary right where you're at. In other words, to serve God's kingdom. And, uh, but too often today we get so caught up in the cares of this world and that changes our focus immediately. And it can happen that quick. It's something, that's why we have this battle in our flesh every single day, why the Apostle Paul said, I die daily. Listen, you can have a really good focus right now. That might not be true in the morning. This, this, is, this is something that is not just a one-time decision after a church service. That's where we go wrong. Remember, I brought it before when I was a teenager. You'd see that all the time with the youth outings that we'd have. We'd have all the youth outings. I knew all the teenagers well. We were around each other a lot. We were a very active youth department. I mean, 20, like I said, 25 to 30 of us. 
And, uh, and you would see decisions made. They'd hear really a great sermon, emotional sermon at a youth conference. Everybody would come forward and make the decision. And, and I believe when, when my friends made those, I believe that they were sincere. Uh, I, I, would, I would highly doubt any one of them just went up there just to go up there. Seriously, I, I would. Yet at the same time, I recognized going through that I didn't think any of them were going to, make, were going to be serving Christ once they got out of high school away from their parents. Now, for those couple of days... It was exciting. But after my sophomore year and junior year and senior year, by the time my senior year rolled around, I realized that so much of those decisions that are made, although that's good, I'm not against that. It's just that it's almost like we think those are magical moments that change everything. That's the start. That's where the dedication should come in. Okay, this is what I need to do. But because that perspective isn't there, no, what happens they go home and Monday morning they felt the same like they did before the conference. And the battle's lost. And it's lost. So, again, as we begin to focus on this world, we start to follow it. And your focus can change very quickly. Um, we strive, basically, to, use the, to keep it in the context of the words we're dealing with here in Matthew 6. We basically strive to build our own kingdom here on the earth. To build our life right here. Now, listen to me. When that takes place... You, become, you have something that is a master in your life. No man is his own. And we know from Scripture, basically, when, when you are, get so focused on this world, one of three things becomes your master. You're enslaved to. That is usually the sensual. The sensual will grab you. All of a sudden, you're living for pleasure. You're living for the sensual. Not for everybody. That This is just one of the groups. This is one of the avenues that grabs your focus when you're worried about the world. And, and that, that, that'll grab you. Some get carried away with pleasure and the sensual. That's what they end up living for. For others, it's greed. For others, it's, it's, it's greed. Greed begins to control. That takes over. It doesn't just have to mean greed with money, although that's certainly usually involved. It, it, it can be the obsession of money. Um, whether rich or poor. That, this, this doesn't matter. You don't think as you say, Greek, well, I'm dealing with somebody who's rich. No, no. There's plenty of people without out money that only thing they obsess over is getting money. Um, that controls. Um, or, or then, of course, lastly, is pride. Pride can take over. That becomes the focus. And sometimes it's a mix of all of these. Uh, but these are the three com- common, avenue, the, uh, common avenues the devil uses uh, um, to attack us and to get our focus off of God. So if your focus is on the world, you're susceptible to all of a sudden sensuality taking over or greed taking over or pride taking over. And again, as we see here in our text, for the Christian, we are to concentrate on the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is where our focus should be. And as a result, God promises to meet our needs. That's the essence of this sermon. We really could close our Bibles and go from there. But let's, let's break this down because I'm supposed to preach for at least 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's look at this, though, what we do have in our text of why we should put the kingdom of God first. One thing we see here is our provisions are provided for. He stresses it. You know, he, he gets into the examples here. I mean, think, think of what he's saying here. He says, he says, take no thought for your life, what you should eat or what you should drink, uh, or nor your body, what you should put on. is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment. We're going to get back to that. 25 is some good truth in there that I do want to pull out here in a minute. He says, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? So right now, he says, listen, you need to consider, as he's preaching this, he says, listen, God will meet your needs. He said, just think about this in creation. He gives one simple example, the birds. Consider the birds of the air. 
um, on God's ability to provide for them. Now, I, I tried all I could to try and find some source. I figured somebody might have had it, and somebody does. I just could not locate it um, this afternoon that had the statistics on what it takes to feed all the birds in the world. Just, I can find it anywhere. I did find this at one scientific website. It was actually one on mosquitoes. Um, but this is what they said about birds and their consumption. One avenue that they consume, and this isn't talking about the other birds and birds of prey and whatnot, but the, the birds who do eat insects, they eat in each year between 400 and 500 million tons of insects per year. No wonder there's so many mosquitoes. God's trying to feed all those birds right now. That's what he's doing. But just think of what it takes just to feed all those birds. And by the way, think of how God provides for those birds. He doesn't hand the food to them in their nest. He doesn't. That's what we expect God to do when we read verses like this. The, the, the food is not, God does not have little worms falling from heaven into the bird's nest. That would be nasty. What he does is, the provision is there and the ability for them to get it. That's what he does. So you, we can consider creation. He only brings up the birds. We can bring up so much in creation that's there. But he brings up one example. Just consider the birds. Uh, they're not worried about it, yet God provides for them every single day. Day in and day out, 365 days a year. Incredible. Then he gives the example of the lilies of the field and clothing. How God clothes them. You can just think. You have that photo. Think of how beautiful that is. I have a photo here. Lilies in the field. Turn that off there. That's just incredible. This is just one. He says, just think about it in creation. How I take care of everything that's there. He gives the example of considering your limited ability. He says, um, verse 27, Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Now, this might be talking about height, but it probably isn't, because a cubit's about 22 inches. I don't think he's saying none of you can add two foot to your stature. That, that would be pretty, that'd be pretty good if we could do that. But if both words are used. I think I put some examples down here in Scripture. Uh, um, yes. Um, it, it, it certainly could be referring to height. He, he could do that. It, it fixed the context of it, and I'll explain that. But I think more than likely it's dealing with our age, adding to our life. The term length is often applied to life in Scripture. Um, we have that in Psalm 39.5. Thou hast made my days as a handbreadth. Um, teach me the measure of my days. Psalm 39.4, the verse right before it. Um, and so it's used in that way. And the word uh, 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 um, stature here, it, it, it can mean height, but it's also the exact same word is translated as age. Like in John 9.21, it's the exact same word. Where, uh, where Christ says, or the parents say to the Pharisees, ask him, he's of age. It's the exact same word. Um, and so really what fits what Christ is, is, is talking about here in the way that I lean with it is that he isn't talking about adding height, about adding years to you. That the Lord is the one who can do that. He's the almighty, unlimited, empower God. 
So then the question that we have here then is if God takes care of those things in creation, would he take care of us? And of course we say yes. Uh, um, when you hear an answer like that, intellectually it clicks, oh yes, of course he would. But then the problem is Monday. <laughs> the problem is the next day when you actually have to live that. He does take care of us. Um, let's think about this. If he is willing to take care of the least of his creation, I think he would like to take care of the crown of his creation. And yes, make no mistake, listen, this world is, is getting demented and twisted in its thinking. We are not the same thing as a dog. We're not. We're the crown of it. We are the only thing in all of creation created in the image of God. If he is taking care of the lilies of the field and the birds, and he does care about them, he does. Think of how much more, that's the point here, that God is making, that he desires to take care of you. <clears throat> Again, what this shows us is God has the desire to meet our needs, but there's another question then. Desire is not enough. Does he have the power to do it? Well, of course he does. So just, just use logic. We serve an almighty God. Is that true or not? Is the Bible true or false? If it's true, then, then follow it. We serve an almighty God who already knows what you need. He has a desire to meet that need as demonstrated in all of creation. You're the crown of his creation. And he also has the power to meet that need. But you say, but God's not. That's because you might be the bird just sitting in the nest. The ability and the provision is there. God certainly can provide. The devil puts many things before our path. I was reading, I was reading uh, yesterday or late this week how they're talking about another stimulus check coming out. And everybody's all, all excited about that because their trust is in government. Oh, wow. You might get $1,000 from the government. Woo! You have an almighty God who is there to meet your needs. He can provide. God has both the desire and the ability to help you. And just like you said, can you add one cubit? You have limited power, in other words. You, you can't add, if it is talking about stature, there's nothing you can do about that. Or the length of your life, and God has determined that, it's over with. God, just like Hezekiah, he's the one that can extend your life just like that. It's nothing for him. We have limited, yet we serve an unlimited God. God's power also demonstrates itself when we see that God already knows our needs. There in verse 32. When he says, for all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. Listen, God knows right where you're at right now. Those things that nobody else knows, he's aware of. He knows. He has the desire and the ability. We have to trust him. We have to follow him. You know, I, was, I, was, I got some good questions after the service this morning about God and, and how it ties in with if God knows everything that's happening, yet God does not predetermine everything that's happening, how does this tie in with our own free will and our decisions to make? 
And I said, listen, this ties in. It deals with our spiritual condition, with what we're seeking, if we're walking by faith or not. God, in his omnipotence, in his sovereignty, has given us a free will. And he knows, listen, that if we will uh, seek to follow him, if we will be in a position that, we, that we're obeying what we see in Matthew 6.33, and I finish, I'll, I'll cover that, that God is there for us. You know, it's just like we have verses in the Bible that give for an example, this promotion is of the Lord. You know, the, the key to get in that promotion at work is simply serve God. Put him first. Where's T- is Tim Thomas in here? Brother, I'm going to be honest. Uh, even though I don't like you, you're a good testimony in this regard. I remember several years ago when, when he was here and he was working for another company and he'd come to me and said, I'm, I'm leaving him. I'm going to start my own business. And this was right. I still remember the conversation. The first one was in the foyer before the office. And he told me, he, he says, I'm putting God first in all this. And he gave me the ideas of how he was going to do that. And he started this thing from scratch, from scratch. Just him. And. I don't know if I should do this or not. Can, do you, yeah, I'll, I'll put that ball in your court if you're comfortable with it. Now it's been how many years since you started your business? Five years. It's been five years, brother. And by the way, he puts God first. Did you see his commercial? He has the gospel in his commercial. Um, when he finishes it, he has the gospel in his commercial. And the study of it was great. And so in five years... We've, I saw you honor God with this in the naming of it, the verses, everything, brother. Uh, about how many, how much work in a dollar amount? Estimate, if you're comfortable giving that out, are you going to do this year? In five years, I'm not saying God's going to do that for everybody. I'm not. I'm just saying you just honor Him. It's what you do. You seek Him. <clears throat> Now, there's certain principles then. Not only, not, not only do we see here, do we, get, do we see what we're supposed to drive at here? We, we can see it in creation. We can see it how he clothes the lilies of the field, how he provides, how he desires to help us. He has the ability to help us. But there's other ways, other ways that this does come into play in our life. One, it allows you to have right principles in your life. Look at verse 25. This is interesting. In other words, your values will be right. When you begin to seek first the kingdom of God, not only does it meet your needs, but it does something else for you that we desperately need as we're trying to view life in this sin-cursed body that we have. Verse 25 says this, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? What he's doing with that last question is trying to throw perspective on life of what's really important and what isn't. And, and the point I'm going to drive at here is just that when you are following Matthew 6.33, not only are your provisions met, as God demonstrates, I have the desire, I have the ability, if I'm doing the least of creation, I want to do it for you. Don't question it. He does. But it does something else for you that's also incredibly important. It helps you have the right values in life. It helps you have a right perspective on life itself. So that you're not elevating things in life that should not be elevated. That there's not things that are, that are important that should not have that high of a priority in your life. Today, 
People place value on things that are just vanity, clothes and material possessions, uh, different types of food. I, I remember when I worked at, when I got into management back in, back in the 90s at Continental. And the managers had made pretty good money. They were all, in the, especially for the 90s, they were all making six figures. And, uh, and the thing was, clothing was a big deal. It was like, it went through this phase where you didn't dare buy anything from Walmart or Target. That just wasn't happening. I mean, you, you had, it was like a contest when you would show up. It, was, it, was, it wasn't like it was voice, but it's how it happened. It, you know, oh, you got a new shirt. How much you pay for that? You weren't looking for the, I got this for $19.99. That's not what you want. Oh, I got this for $799. Man, I got to go get one for $900 now. That's exactly how it was. Um, the, the, the values were greatly misplaced because the focus on the world distorted it. This helps you get your focus on what's really important. Instead of seeing everything about, uh, about the materialism in life, you, can, you begin to realize the importance of the soul in life. How the soul far exceeds in value anything that this world has to offer. I mean, again, look at Luke 12. And by the way, in Luke 12, the context is important here because Christ goes right into this portion on the Sermon on the Mount in Luke 12. Let's look at that. Here's a guy that placed the wrong values in life. And again, what I'm, what I'm trying to do is one of, those, one of those sermons that's trying to convince you. That's trying to get you to say, listen, maybe I need to consider this. Um, because again, if, if you are going to seek God and make your life about Him, He will provide for you. Just like He does for the birds. But it's also going to help you in the way you look at life and what you value. And what's important to you. <clears throat> so let's see this example here. Verse number 16, and he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful. And as he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. This guy thinks he has made it. He's accomplished his golden life. Everything is great. He's successful by the world's standards. And he says this, And I will say to my soul, he doesn't even understand his soul. Only thing he's provided for is the physical and not his soul. Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. These are the same things that the Lord's been talking about here. That if you'll seek him, he'll take care of those provisions. And like this man also, that's what he sought. But his values were messed up. Verse 20, but God said unto him, thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. Again, it helps us have a right perspective on values. We need to learn between, basically, to put it with uh, one of the Proverbs says, I think where it helps you when you begin to put God first in perspective, where God begins to cause a paradigm shift in your thinking, is you understand the difference between true riches that Christ speaks of here and uncertain riches. You begin to realize which one is more important to have. <clears throat> and then... What we see here, just a couple more things I'm going to, I'm going to discuss. Another, another benefit of it, in verse 25, is given. It affects our values. 
but it also helps us with worry. Verse back in Matthew 6, he says, take no thought. Take no thought. We, we are a people that's prone to worry. We're a people that's uh, to obsess over that. Because if that's where your thought life is, that's, that, if that's where your thought life is, then that's where your life is. It's no longer on the kingdom of God. So if worry can come into play, it, it's, a win, it's, it's, it's a win for the world. It's a win for the devil in that case. It's not you working for the kingdom of God. But we're prone to worry. But he says, take no thought. You're not going to worry about this. If you're seeking me, it handles that. It removes the panic from your life. Over and over, really, Christ said, take no thought. Don't worry. When you begin to realize the goodness and the greatness of God, you can put your trust in him. And again, we learned several things here about worry. Worrying about tomorrow will hinder you today. It will. We can take that right here, Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, verse 26 through 34, as he, as he goes on with this here. And he's saying that's going to hinder your tomorrow. If you're going to be fretting over what's coming tomorrow, it's going to hinder you today. That's where he says in verse 34, Take therefore no thought for the morrow. There it is again. Don't worry about tomorrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. That phrase is key. He's saying, what he's saying is, he's giving you the strength for right now. Sufficient unto the day. I'm giving you now. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't use up the strength I'm giving you today on something tomorrow that might not even never happen. I give you enough strength for now. In other words, worry hinders you greatly in the, in the present time you're in. You miss the life you have right now. It overtakes you. God gives enough strength for us each day. For that day. Just like how he takes care, takes care of the birds of the field and everything else in creation. Worrying about what you cannot control, we learn from this also, like in verse 27. Can't take, you, you can't add one cubit to your stature. <clears throat> Worrying about what you cannot control is not going to help you. Worrying about what you can't control isn't going to help you. So often we will obsess over things we have no control over. That's so those times you learn to give it to God, the one who can control it. The one who can do something or give you the grace and strength that's needed. You, you go to the one who can genuinely help. We'll obsess in things that are completely out of our control. <clears throat> and of course, worry never as we see what Christ said, Oh, ye of little faith. He also mentioned that back in verse 21. When worry controls the Christian, your life does not demonstrate faith. It does not. That affects your witness. That affects your family. It affects you. Your personal walk with God. And the fact is, others need to see... What a great time we're living in right now for others to see a difference. Isn't it? I'm going to be honest. Back in the 1950s in America, when things started to head south for a lot of reasons, this is one of the reasons. Everybody was doing fine. 
The economy was growing. It was booming. Jobs were everywhere. You could buy a house for $3,000. Think about it. Right now, that's changed, hasn't it? Right now, we're the ones who can demonstrate faith. In a time that's uh, of uneasiness, people looking what's taking place in this world. We can demonstrate faith. They can see a difference. And, of course, we see worrying hinders you from the work of God. Matthew 6.33. If you are so consumed with the worries of this world, you're never going to follow, be obedient to Matthew 6.33. That's not going to take place. That's not what consumes you which is what should be our life. So how do we put the kingdom of God first? I'll cover this quickly and I'll be done. The key, again, to having our needs met is seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. It is with that that the promise comes to meet our needs. So how do we do this? One, it involves a new way to look at life, that paradigm shift to occur where you see life is really, truly, and it is, all about God. It is. Everything's about him. It's not about us. It's not about you. Listen, teenagers, if you'll get a hold of that as you're making major decisions in life, you realize life's all about God. It is. You don't make it where life's about you. It's about God. Lord, what would you have me to do? You know, eternity's a really long time. I mean, just think of... It's, it's hard to comprehend eternity, isn't it? I mean... I remember hearing it as a teenager, and it always stuck with me. How uh, it was—I uh, think it was actually at one of those youth conferences I was talking about—and and, and the preacher was was uh, was preaching, and it was one of those really messages that gets you going. And he gave an illustration out of of a bird trying to come over and picking up one grain of sand from from a beach and taking it to the farthest part of our own galaxy. How long that would take would just be a ridiculous amount of time. And he said, "Now he has to move the entire planet." And, uh, and then he said, that's one day in eternity. It's just a really long time. We're here for, the majority of us here will be here less than 90 years. And think about it. You hear me say it often. The fact is, right now, in this room, from nursery on up, every single one of us will be gone 100, 105 years from now. Every single one of us. We will be gone. Somebody else will be in this building. We'll be gone. It's a short time. Live for eternity. That's the one that matters. <clears throat> so, how do we keep God first? We'll give the simple ways. I, 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 let me start off with some of the basic ways that we know, but I want to encourage you to stay faithful to. One, of course, is, is that daily time with the Lord. When you're getting up in the morning, staying faithful to it, day in and day out, not playing a game with it, getting up and saying, okay, I, I'm going to get in God's word and I'm going to pray. Listen, don't, don't let the liberals of our day dilute you concerning the word of God. This is the word of God. It is different than any other book. It's not a magic book. It's not. Some Christians approach it as a magic book. I'm going to repoof and I'm changed. That's not it. But this is God's word. It's unlike any other book. I remember, and that was just God giving the phrase. You've heard me talk about it when I was a teenager serving in my Bible to school. And, uh, um, and I, that was at that table that day when that atheist had pointed it out, when Derek Johnson pointed it out, they had a Bible and it, it was hitting. And I don't remember if it was him or one of the other guys at the table, I don't remember now. And, and they, had, they had said almost 
smart aleck had said, you know, um, so what's different about that book from any other religious book? I remember just saying, well, the author's a little different. <laughs> and it is. I mean, think about that. We actually have God's word. The principles that we read are from the mind of the creator. You think they're just a little important? They are. Stay faithful to that and understand what you have. As independent fundamental Baptists, we're, we're affected us where many were in the word of God every single day and it didn't help you one bit. Didn't help you at all because you did it out of duty. Because you wanted the faithfulness button to be presented to you at the end of the year that you did not miss one day of your reading. Listen, there are times when you get up where duty has to take over. Don't get me wrong. All right? Those days happen. We're certainly not to stay in those days. The Lord desires us to want to please Him, to want to serve Him. He stresses that Old Testament, New Testament. So it's, it's when you read, it's what you do when you read, not just that you read. It's not just checking your box. That's not going to do it. And then, of course, the prayer time with it. You've got to have the prayer time. You've got to have that time when, when you're talking and spending time with the Lord. Again, the greatest example I believe in prayer we have in the Bible is somebody who didn't even need it. Jesus Christ himself. Like the night before he chose the twelve. Did he already know who the twelve were? Of course he did. He's God. But what did he do the night before? He didn't sleep. Prayed all night. Prayed all night. And again, I figured out a great way to do that. If you start praying at night and you're tired, before you know it, it's morning. You prayed all night. Works well. I prayed all night, all the time. But he prayed all the time. There's a reason that's in Scripture where he talks about him in the morning, before dawn, getting away to pray. He didn't need it. That's for you. That's giving you a pattern of how to do this. That's, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. It's by being faithful to the house of God. Be faithful. And this is a Sunday night crowd. This is the most faithful of our bunch. Be faithful, though. And then, again, it's the same thing. It's not just the attendance. It's not about getting the attendance button that's going to impress God. It's not. We have that wrong as independent from the Baptist. I haven't missed a church service in 17 years. It's what you do when you're here. Do you think that if, if the Bible is true, that means there's a genuine, very real spiritual warfare that takes place? True or false? That's very true. And so if that's the case, and within the spiritual warfare that takes place, that is structured and organized, and all of a sudden, not only does God take notice that you're getting serious, but so does the devil. Do you think that's going to increase the fight? It's going to increase the fight in key areas. The areas that are key to you following Matthew 6.33. Your devotion time and when you're here. There's, there's times that, that I've gotten texts or calls and I'm like, what are you thinking? What is, it, what is it that's taking place in your mind when you hear the preaching? 
I mean, I, I had one here a couple months ago. It just absolutely floored me. And, and I went to it and I, saw, I, said, I said, there is no way. That is not what I meant at all. And I said, really, I'm, I, I, I don't even understand how you took it that way. I shouldn't have said that. I should have said, no, there's a spiritual warfare taking place. Listen, things will try and get into try and pull that back. Don't be ignorant of the devil's devices. If you have something that's pulling you towards God, that's a good thing. Watch out for those doubts the devil throws at you. He's good at that. You seek God first by allowing Him a part of the decisions you make in life. We make decisions every day. From simple ones of time we get up and we get dressed to what we're going to eat. You know, I am now 51 years old. I think I want to make it 52 after this morning. I'm, I'm not sure. I might not. But you know what? Know what I've noticed? I have to watch what I eat. God needs to be part of that decision. And I don't think he's for McDonald's as much as I was going. He might be. I'm not sure. I still know he hates macaroni and cheese. That is Proverbs 32.1. That is in there. It's an abomination. <clears throat> well, you put God first in your decisions, not just the small ones. Of course, major ones. Lord, I need your help with this. Then be obedient to him. You know, by the way, a lot of those times, nobody's going nobody's to put you in situations that will require faith. <laughs> faith. Why does he do that? Because without faith, it's impossible to please him. Because he desires to show himself strong. Because he desires so that, so that when you think, you know, uh, you, you know John, I'm, I'm gonna, back when I, you probably don't remember this. I was a brand new assistant pastor, and you got me a birthday or Christmas present. It was a belt buckle. Do you remember that? It was a big, you probably don't remember, it was a belt buckle you gave it to me. It, it, it said, when all else fails, fails, follow the instructions. That's what it said. Now, I'm not a cowboy wearing those great big belt buckles, so I never wore it, but I did like it. Thank you. And, uh, um, but really, the logic of that is horrible. When all else fails, follow the instructions. We should start by following the instructions. We should start by following the instructions. That's right. The instruction book is right here. And I actually had a Bible on it, too. It had a Bible right there. That's what it had on it. It was a Bible. You don't remember that, do you? Because you're old. Oh, you do? All right. <laughs> Good. But I appreciated that. That was kind of... He was the only one who got me a Christmas present that year. <laughs> actually, that was the year I think Pastor Roach thought he'd be funny, and he gave me 10,000 loose pennies in front of the church. You, remember, you guys remember that? came out in a little red wagon. little red wagon he got me. 10,000 loose pennies. Boy, did I appreciate that. That was such a blessing. But you put God first by seeking Him in all your decisions. These are simple ways you, be, you can begin to follow Matthew 6.33. It's what you do. And then there'll be other ways that God guides you and directs along that same path. But if these aren't in place, those other ones aren't going to matter. You're never going to see them. All right? You follow this. So we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness.